All right, so if you're okay with it, um, I would like to have a little bit of a warm up. I run an emotion randomizer. So I have a list of 10 emotions and they're random. So I'll give you these words and you tell me the first game that comes to mind. Okay, so the first word is brave. Brave. Super Metroid. Relaxed. Relaxed. Breath of the Wild. Inquisitive. Inquisitive. Uh, Mass Effect 2. Skeptical. Uh, Fallout 76. (laughs) (laughs) Hostile. Hostile, Axiom Verge. Puzzled. Tetris. <laughs> Enthusiastic. Uh, Overwatch. Heartbroken. Child of Light. Terrified. Terrified. Uh, terrified. Uh, Resident Evil 2. And the last word, Melancholy. I don't know why, but Thomas Was Alone was the only one that keeps coming to mind. But that game at the end is so full of hope. But yeah, I'm going to say, I'm going to have to say, it's, it's the one that popped in there. So Thomas Was Alone. The next part is if you can tell me about your first gaming memories. So when I was first born, we lived, my mother and I lived with uh, her parents. And then uh, when she met my dad, um, we moved out into uh, Halifax, which is a city here in Nova Scotia. And then Mark was born. uh, And that then when we were living in a one bedroom apartment, they actually slept in the living room on a uh, on a pull out sofa bed. And I had the one bedroom. And then Mark was born and he and I shared that bedroom for about two years, I think. And then uh, we moved back to Sackville, again, which is in Nova Scotia. And when we moved out there, that would have been about 1988. And uh, sort of as a a housewarming gift, I I think. I don't remember specifically if it was housewarming, if it was that Christmas or when we moved. I was only seven at the time. But that's when we got our NES. And uh, I remember we only had two games. Uh, We had, well, I guess three games, technically. We had Super Mario Bros. Duck Hunt. and we had. this game that so that was cool but then and i didn't know anything about gaming at the time so i didn't know who mario was i didn't know who duck hunt i didn't know any of that but the other game we had was in this golden colored box and the the cartridge when i opened it like it shined in the light it was this shining crisp golden color and obviously it was the legend of zelda so that was uh that was the game i remember playing immediately first throwing that in and just being lost in this world uh trying to figure out what to do, where to go, luckily stumbling into that cave and getting the sword. So initially, right off the bat, Legend of Zelda was the first thing we played. And it's probably why the franchise has such you know, uh, emotional attachment to, to me anyway, to this day. Um, and that was, that's my real first memory. And then that is very closely followed by the whole family sitting around in the evening with the Nintendo, the Super Mario Bros, and my grandmother playing and her trying to to get by that first Goomba and dying twice. Like she walked straight into it twice. And then eventually when she did manage to jump over him, she figured out how to jump over him. She then fell right down the hole right afterwards. <laughs> so those two things are sort of tied that, that fun moment with her. And then the, the legend of Zelda, cause my whole family really got into it. Like it was mom and dad. I was only seven. So, I mean, at the time I was still really young at trying to grasp this, this very complex game. So my mom and my dad and me and Mark would sit around and Mark was just really, he was only two. So he wouldn't, he wasn't, he was just watching the screen, the colors uh, and trying to figure it out and being lost in the lost woods and actually calling the Nintendo power hotline to try and figure out what to do. That's, that's my, my first gaming memories. And it's, it's so built around Zelda and family and just all of our time together. I've tried to play the first Zelda a couple of times, maybe, or more. And I always found it kind of complex. I, I never played the first one as a child, 
And even as an adult now, I find it a little bit overwhelming, but it's funny that it is your first game. Like, didn't you find it <laughs> kind of complex? Yeah, so it was, it really was an adventure. Like, it was... I was a kid, and I was new to games, so I don't know the rules, right? So I'm just trying everything. It's I don't know the... Because now you you play games, and you're like, okay, I know how games work. I know how games function. I expect this or this or this. So I should be able to do this. If I see this, I know this is going to do this kind of thing. But this was my first ever, like... I went from being, you know, just all of my playtime was basically with my imagination. I didn't have a ton of friends when I was little. I spent most of my time playing by myself. Um, so really, I went from everything, I was only limited by my own imagination uh, to now I'm in this world that was just trying everything. And yeah, it was, it was super difficult. I don't know that I ever beat it. And I'm sure our mother will say that we did. Um, and her and her and dad probably would have had to do it. I don't specifically remember Beating it, I do remember the final fight against Ganon, uh, but I don't know if it was because I remember doing it myself or if I remember watching one of them do it. So it was this sort of uh, group effort between us all. But yeah, and and you're right. Even now as an adult, if I went to play that game, I would need to walk through. <laughs> that game is obtuse. They don't point you at anything. So yeah, as a seven-year-old, it was, it was really quite a challenge, but it was just so much fun because I was, I didn't have this sense of, oh man, I got to beat this game so I can play the next game. You know, I didn't have this sense of, I have this and I'm really excited, but I know this is coming next month. It was, this is what I have. This is it. And it's this massive world, this open adventure where really you can go and do whatever you want, however you want. And as a kid, I wasn't so, like, I wanted to save the princess, sure. But it wasn't like, that wasn't my be all end all. You know, I, I had no problem roaming around and exploring. And, you know, I'm going to play for an hour today and I'm going to just walk around and kill, you know, uh, Bokoblins uh, or Moblins, you know, and and I don't know if they had those names then. I can't remember. I'm sure they did, but I can't remember specifically what the... Oh, no, I do remember them. Anyway, uh, like, there's no, like, I'm not doing it to grind levels. I'm not doing it to get better. I'm just going to go fight these things, you know, and there was no reward other than I'm walking around the woods killing these little pig dudes. Exactly. I want to go back to this point later on about, you know, beating games versus just enjoying them for the sake of it. But before that, I want to do a little bit of a fact checking. So I was editing Mark's episode <laughs> recently, and he mentioned in his first gaming memory section that he knows for a fact that your parents were playing games before you guys were born or something like that. But from what you're saying, apparently that is not quite accurate. Yeah, that's, I'm almost positive. I don't recall ever having a Nintendo I know we never had Atari or television or any of that stuff. And I don't recall playing our Nintendo at the um, home that we had in, in Halifax. Mm -hmm. So you remember uh, when that yeah. NES first came home? Yeah, I, I don't remember the event that brought it into the house. Like, I don't remember if it was Christmas or if it was a birthday or if it was just like, hey, we moved into this house, we bought this thing. Um, I don't remember the specific event that brought it into the home, but I do remember... Uh, it being there suddenly, and here's Mario, here's Zelda, and those were the two we had. But yeah, they now they played when we were young. It wouldn't have been before Mark was born. Mark was born, he was two, and we moved into that into that house. So he he was definitely around. He might just be too young to remember it, um, or he may think he may just believe that they had been playing prior to him being there. He mentions that his first gaming memory is playing Duck Hunt, and he does say something about being two or three years old. Yeah, do you, yeah. Do you... he used to walk right up to the TV screen uh -huh. and press the gun against the screen. And he like he he's told me since then that at the time he just never understood why we didn't do that because <laughs> you get closer, it's easier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he he used to he'd hold the zapper with two hands and he'd get right up to the screen. Yeah, I you, you know you would hear the tip the tip of the zapper clinking off the the, the glass of the CRT. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What were your thoughts of watching your your baby brother? You know interacting with with this toy that like i don't know I, I, my experience interacting with my sister was and i did mention this to mark too was that i i wanted to play properly whether you know the little brother or little sister they just want to like mess around with it you know what i mean yeah he was doing it wrong <laughs> exactly <laughs> so so it's it's funny because like I just mentioned with Zelda, you know, if I want to if I wanted to just walk around in the woods or walk around in the map and fight things and look for secrets or whatever, in my mind that was okay. That's how the game was supposed to be played. You know, but I was already starting to develop this is how you play, this is what you're supposed to do mentality in my mind 
you know, and to see him go up there, it's like, well, that's not, no, you have to sit, sit here. You have to try, you know, you have to try and do it from here. You can't, can't go up there and, and, uh, already imposing these, already coming up with these self-imposed restrictions. And I, rem- I just remember a lot of, cause we would have to take turns and whenever it was his turn, all I wanted was for it to be my turn. you're saying that your first game memories comes at around age seven so you do have a lot of memories before this so you never encountered like an arcade machine or stuff like that before no no we're uh so where we grew up my first real memories i have those imprinted memories that i've heard stories of things that happened to me prior to my actual memories so many times that they feel like that i remember them but i don't i just remember hearing the story so many times over and over again that i piece it together in my mind as a memory you know like my my aunt tells me the story of how she tricked me into eating my old uh beans that i didn't finish for lunch as a snack because i was crying one day but she's told me the story so many times that i i have tricked myself into thinking i remember it but i don't actually remember the event um so my first real uh memories um are from being we lived in this like i said it was a one-bedroom apartment uh in in the uh it was a a two-level building and we had the basement and there was another one bedroom above us and i had the bedroom and mom and dad slept on a uh, it was an old like orangish brownish orange colored uh pull-up sofa and they slept in the living room and I would play. We had a little fenced-in backyard, and my, my grandparents actually lived in the the house just in front of this apartment building. It was all one attached unit, shared a driveway. So I would play in the backyard uh, with my GI Joes and with uh, my Star Wars figures. And it was really just me by myself because we lived in. It was uh, right in Halifax. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but where it was was a very uh, commercial area, not so residential, and. Uh, not a lot of kids uh, lived around me, so I was alone most of the time. My 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 fun time was split between playing alone in the backyard or um, either wa- playing alone in the backyard, uh, watching um, game shows in the afternoon with my mom, or baking with my grandmother. Um, yeah, so like one of the things we never went to arcades as a, as a family. We never did any of that, so I, I just wasn't really exposed to games at the. Uh, prior to that, um, what we did for fun, mom would watch $25,000 Pyramid. She would uh, mute the television, and I would sit with my back to the TV facing her, and she would give me clues to try and get me to guess the words. And that's what we would do for fun in the daytime. So uh, there was one time, she, the, the, the word was heaven, she had to get me to say. And she said, oh, she, the clue she gave me was where God lives. My answer was 100 Huntley Street. Because that's a TV show that used to be on, <laughs> and I used to watch it in the mornings. <laughs> Turns out he doesn't live there. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we ne- we never really had an exposure to them. I, like I said, it, it just showed up in the house. It was this magic little gray box that I had no idea what it was. At, at school, I don't know. It, it, it might be difficult um, for some people to see now. I know Colleen would probably disagree, but. When I was young, I was very, very uh, introverted. I had no desire to to interact with other kids, really. I spent my first week at um, primary, uh, which is like the first grade of real school for people in Canada, uh, standing in the corner. I would not sit at a desk. I refused to sit because they had these little circular tables, and I think it was three or four kids sat at each one. And I refused to sit at a table with other kids. I stood in the corner by myself for a week until the teacher eventually had to call my mom in and say, listen, he's going to sit at the desk and participate or, or he can't, he's going to have to come back next year. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had very little interaction with other kids. I didn't, I didn't have a lot of friends. I had no interest in having a lot. Um, I had, there was two people that I still remember to this day that were my friends. Um, one of them was Julie Patterson and she lived uh, on a couple of blocks over and the other one was Matthew Stevens, Valentine Smith. And I, for some reason, I remember their names. I haven't spoken to either one of them since I was seven. Um, so <laughs> really, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what they do now or where they're at or, but those were, those two were my, they were the, the only two people that I, I had, I considered my friends as a child. And then we moved and 
they were gone. So it was like, okay, well, let's what's next? What about gaming as a means to socialize? Did it happen? Oh yeah, yeah, big time. So as I got older, we so we had the NES, and from that point, our our whole family was hooked. We would go and rank games together. We would buy games together. Um, and then we carried on. We got the Super Nintendo. We got we we had every Nintendo console. And then when PlayStation One came out, we had that. We never had any Sega, um, and we never had. Uh, we were adults by the time Xbox came around. So we we were hardcore. We had them all, and it was it would be so initially in our new neighborhood. Um, you know, we, we were living on on this Bruce Drive. This is where we lived for a few years. Uh, I still it was a mixture of playing outside and playing inside. You know, on on the Nintendo, and it was. I was making more friends. I was I was getting more active, getting more engaged with with the kids around there because we lived in a very family oriented community. There was tons of families in this area, so I was playing with more kids. And then it would get to the point that okay, well, we've got these games that we can play together: ice hockey, RBI baseball, you know, these sports titles, uh, arcade sports titles, really. And that was hey, do you want to come in and play this? It's raining today. Um, so outside time, we were still mostly outside playing, you know, as kids. But on on rainy days or you know just random days, we'd come in the house. And it would be the sports titles we would gravitate to. And uh, we would play tons of them. Gran Turismo in high school was a mass, massive one. Uh, GoldenEye was another big one. We used to, at this point, we would have been in our, I would have been like 16 years old, I think, or so. Um, roughly in that range between 14 and, and 16, I think, for GoldenEye. And uh, I'd have to check the years that they came out. GoldenEye and Gran Turismo. I think Gran Turismo was closer to uh, the end of high school. So probably... 16, 17, and we would all get together, me and my friends, and we would spend weekends playing. Now we're going to get together and play this for a weekend, you know. Uh, NHL, we used to have NHL tournaments. We would run our own seasons of NHL hockey. All of us would pick a team, we'd sit and play through it, and Madden football. It was a ton of sport. Like, by the time we started playing sports games with the Super Nintendo, um, playing King Griffey Jr. baseball, all of my friends, because we all played uh, baseball, we all played ball hockey. Some of us played ice hockey. And it was, okay, we play these sports. Now let's actually play these sports as games. And that was, it took, that That was when gaming really, like, exploded as a social thing for me. Because, like, what are you doing Friday night? Well, we're going to go over to Matt's house and we're going to play in it. We're going to have an NHL 94 tournament, you know, or we're going to, uh, two or three days after my prom, my friend Trevor came over to our house. And we stayed up for, like, two days straight playing Gran Turismo. To the point that I started hallucinating that the game had voice acting, and it, it does not. The game definitely doesn't have voice acting. <laughs> but it was like, I was like, hey, it doesn't say we got a new car there. And he was like, it's never said that. I was like, no, it said it last night. He was like, you're losing it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it became really social around those sports games. Not so much the platformers and the RPGs. Those are still mine. You know, like I would have those, I would have these big social events based around the sports games um, and, and Goldeneye specifically. And then the the private personal experiences were shared just for me and Mark, you know, or myself alone. Like the Final Fantasies, the Metal Gears, the Resident Evils. Those were those were still because we never lost that family aspect. Mom would still watch us. We got away from our parents playing, and they would just watch us play mostly. But Mom would watch. Mark and I would play together. We would take turns. The Ocarina of Time, like these. Those experiences still happened within our family nucleus, but the sports games were what we used as a, as our, our for me anyway, as my bridge to social being social. Now, here's a thought because I think that the way games have been like targeted, especially AAA development, when we were kids in the 80s, games were pretty much for kids. You know what I mean? Simple games, bright colors. Even a game like Zelda, which is uh, a complicated game, if you just look at it, it seems childish, right? And it's not too much because of the intention, maybe, but because of the technological limitations at the time. But And even to this day, like I always felt that games were changing as that first generation of gamers was... Well, it's not the first generation of gamers, but it's definitely the first one that where games were huge, like in the, let's say, the NES, right? The Super Nintendo, then, you know, 64, PlayStation, games. At, at the time, we were, like, teens, and, and, and also AAA development went through that phase of, like, now it's going to be edgy and it's going to be more moody and stuff like that. And fast forward to the present, and you see these games at E3, and it seems like they're targeted still to our generation, right, to adults, like, with this 
games are more violent and more emotionally complex and stuff like that. Do you do you feel that your gaming tastes were changing as I'm describing as you, as you yeah, get older? Yeah, 100%. 100%. Mm -hmm. um, my teens hit. I wanted, like you said, those edgy games, you know, the moody games, um, the Resident Evils, the Silent Hills, uh, the the Metal Gear Solids. As, as, and it, it flowed to the point, it's, it almost... Like, like you said, we're not the first generation of gamers, those kids from the 80s, but it definitely feels like gaming, that's when gaming really hit mainstream and that gaming grew up with us. Um, and, and even today, like, what are the biggest stories right now in gaming today? Uh, Last of Us, a, a tale about being a parent. God of War, a tale about being a parent. Um, uh, Detroit Become Human, a game about more choices and the effects of Android society. And like, it's... Gaming has definitely, because as we're all older now, and these are think about, and these are experiences we're having. This is gaming has definitely grown up that way, and I think that's part of the reason that I am so drawn to Nintendo, because Nintendo from 1985 right up to 2018, their games have been the same. You know, like. I don't know. I don't mean like, oh, Mario's the exact same game and you're wasting your money. I mean that I could play a Nintendo game that was made today and get those same feelings and capture some of that same emotion as I had as a child. And I like that escape. I like that ability to re remember what it's like to be a kid, to remember what it's like to just have fun, you know, to just run around in the woods and kill moblins and not worry about getting to the next target, you know, like. I find so much time now I play games the way I live my life. It's like, you know, you go to work, you do your job, you pay your bills, you come home, you clean your house, you have your chores. And games are the same way. I get up, I go do my side quests, I level up, I, you know, I do my next mission objective, I go through to get to the end to get the paycheck. And when I put Nintendo games on, I, I sort of lose that. I have the ability to just explore and have fun and be that kid again. Because... I 100% think you're right that, for the most part, gaming, uh, spe especially with with uh, other developers, gaming has grown up with uh, us 80s kids, and it has gotten to the point that, like, it's you know games are they're not just colorful fun now they're adult experiences it's their experiences it's here's a you know here's a, a uh, life is strange or gone home or fire firewatch like that game starts with your wife dying like are you kidding me like these are heavy heavy topics and i i haven't played firewatch so i just i assume that's how it starts not an actual spoiler if i don't know for real so if you haven't played firewatch yet and you do and that is how it starts i apologize but i think that's how it starts just based on what i anyway spoiler alert after the fact <laughs> But yeah, gaming has, like you said, it has grown up with us, and um, I think you know that's why I maybe why I push aside so much some of that content on the PlayStation Four and the Xbox One because you know I can be a grown up in my real life. Let me let me be a kid. game as much oh yeah um so there was a period of time where all i did was play mmos like uh, everquest everquest 2 and world of warcraft that consumed me and for and almost for the for almost the entire duration from roughly the midpoint of vanilla wow up until the week before arthas was released in, in ice crown in the uh, wrath of the lich king expansion 
all I played was Warcraft. I didn't own any other console. I didn't own any other system. Mm-hmm. So that's like, it's like a six year period, I think, something like that. So I we're talking about missed. the sixth generation here. Yeah, yeah. I, I almost completely missed PlayStation 2, GameCube, uh, Xbox Original, I guess. And wasn't even until uh, PlayStation 3 Slim had come out that I. So I, I'll, I'll get to how I got there. Um, so I, I had stopped. So I was playing this. So I quit Warcraft. I was like, I have to stop. I, I had joined the military. It was consuming my life. I was losing. At this point, it had become antisocial, and I was losing relationships and friendships over this game um, because I was blocking out people in my real life because I had to raid. I had to get online, and I had to go grind and get my materials ready so that I could raid. I had to look up strategies. I had to make sure I had the best strategies and the best gear and everything, and it it, it became prohibitive. To, like it was, it was just bad for me, so I, had to, I can't play that game casually, so I had to stop. And I said, okay, I'm done. And it was about a month-long period of nothing. And then I said, all right, you know what? I'm going to try out this Wii. Let me, let me see what this is all about. And I grabbed a Wii with Wii Sports. And um, that was when I came back to gaming after the dark days of Warcraft. Um, so it was about, there was about a month period where I played nothing. And then, and this was after just Warcraft for like four years or whatever it was, four or five years. And I, I got the Wii and I had a lot of fun with it. And we enjoyed the bowling and, and it started to become social again. You know, we played Wii Sports and we would invite people over and we played. And then that was so much fun that afterwards I was like, okay, you know what? Let me try something else out. And all my friends were playing PlayStation 3. So I went and I got a, a PlayStation 3 Slim. And they had been out for I'm not sure how long, but that was that was when I started getting back in. And with that, I got uh, Kingdoms of Amalur and Mass Effect 2. And so I got the PlayStation 3 right around the time Mass Effect 2 was coming out on PlayStation 3. How did you first got into warcraft i I used to play dungeons and dragons with my uncle when i was 12 uh, and i played up until i was about 18 and then they all used to play ultima online and okay uh yeah we played diablo Um, we would land party diablo um and we would play a game called birth of the federation which was another um game we would all get together at a university on sundays and, and land land five computers together and play that it's like a sort of like a strategy star trek game we, we, there was this group of us that were always looking for games to play online together. So we naturally went from, we liked the fantasy setting because we played Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, we played Magic the Gathering and then we played um, games like Diablo and stuff. So when EverQuest came out, we were like, oh, hey, let's try this. And Mark and I played together. I was a dwarven warrior and he, blew, he played a dwarf paladin and our friend Joe played a dwarf cleric. And we played that together. We would get together, you know, every night for about an hour or two, play, and then on the weekends play for longer. And initially, it was just a side thing, but then it started to become the only game we played because it was a social thing, so we thought. So we played that for a few years, and they announced EverQuest 2 was coming. And we were like, oh, well, it's, we got to get this. We're playing EverQuest 1. And at the same time, was that was the year World of Warcraft was coming out, I'm pretty sure, or it was right within a year. So we grabbed EverQuest 2, but a f- couple of my friends were like, no, man, we're getting this Blizzard. It's called World of Warcraft. It's going to be awesome. Um, so they all grabbed that. So I played EverQuest 2 for about half a year or so while they were playing Warcraft. And then I went over and I watched them play Warcraft one night. And it was just, I loved the art style. I loved everything about it. And two of them, ironically, were like, when Warcraft first came out, they played on a PvP server. And these two both played Night Elf Rogues. They were these two Night Elf Rogues, and they were all about PvP. And they they were talking about how, because back initially, it wasn't just the arena. So you could, like, kill people and get merit and stuff like that um and they were they were having this great time and they were talking about starting a guild and stuff so i was like okay you know what if everybody else is playing this let's give this a shot we'll shift over and uh blizzard does one thing exceptionally well and that is make their games incredibly addictive so it just we moved from everquest to i moved mark had already moved mark had been raiding in warcraft as a as a fire mage for years in vanilla warcraft he quit with burning crusade but it was just all consuming because we're competitive and our friends are competitive and we had the you know we would play and we would get to the point that you get max level and then, okay, well, I'm max level and I've stuff. Well, if I want to do more, I have to get good. So it just sort of consumed it and you couldn't take time off because doing what I wanted to do, what all my friends were doing, I had to be playing constantly and everything else just sort of faded away. And you say this period lasted for around six years? I think so. Uh, I'd have to look at the, I'd have to look at an actual, like the actual release dates. I started somewhere around the middle point of, of Vanilla WoW, about six, yeah. It was right around when Blackwing Lair came out, uh, which I think was the second raid. And then I quit. I stopped for 
six months to go to boot camp. Then I played again when I got back from boot camp, uh, and I, I eventually walked away for good uh, the week before Arthas was released. They were releasing bosses in in, in stages in the Ice Crown and the Wrath of the Lich King. Uh, it was the week before Arthas was released that I quit for good. So I, I mean, I, I'm sure somebody will fact check us to give us an actual time. It feels in my head like it was about six years, but maybe it was much shorter than. That. And that you remember was it at the same level of intensity for all that period of time, or did it peak at one specific moment? No, it was um, however long it took me to get to level sixty, um, which was the max level. From that point up until the day that I quit, it was the same level of intensity. Like I was, I was online looking at strategies. Like I, I, to the point that I stopped going completely. Like everything was based around Warcraft. These are my raid nights when I'm not raiding. I'm online because I got to get my, I got to grind materials because I got to make my stuff for the raids. Uh, and when I'm not grinding for materials and making stuff for raids, I'm reading strategies. I'm looking them up. Uh, it got, it was really, really intense for almost the whole time. Like I lost, I lost actual friendships over it because uh, when Burning Crusade came out, uh, my friend and I started our own guild and uh, I was running the raids and his girlfriend who played with us and was decent. She was a good player. She was uh, more important. She was a good person, um, but she wasn't as good as another healer that we had. And I, uh, I took the other healer instead of her every single time. And it was at the point she was like, it's not fun for me to show up here and be told I can't play because I'm not good enough. I was like, well, then you need to be better. <laughs> and uh, so she stopped talking to me. My friend got really upset with me. Um, because it was all, all of everything was all about getting in and, and killing and being the best and doing the, you know, doing everything perfect. And that's part of the reason I'm glad Overwatch is a, as a player versus player game because I, I'm not good at that. I know I'm not good at that. I'm never going to be good at that. So I can sort of enjoy that casually, but I get itches. I get moments of that um, when Overwatch does an event like Uprising or Retribution. Where I, you know, and the Xbox's achievements on it, so I get those moments of I, I know that if this was a full time thing, I would very, I would have to be very careful with how often I played it. When I was playing MMOs, it definitely peaked at some point, and then I, over time, I'd lost interest because either friends changed games or whatever. But what you're describing is that it peaked, it continued for a period of time, and then you stopped. So something really radical must have happened for you to just quit from one day to the other right yeah i was uh, i was seeing a girl and um she came over one day i don't know how our relationship had start even started because at this point i was still fully engrossed in warcraft but for whatever reason it did and she came over one night and she just she'd had a hard day at work she's she works um she's a prison guard and she had mm -hmm. a hard day at work and she came over and she just needed to sit and talk and just be with somebody and yeah. uh I told her I couldn't because I had to raid. And that was the last day I saw her. <laughs> um, and I realized at that point, you know, I, this, is, this isn't healthy. This isn't right. So I, I logged off that next morning. I, I, I sat up my computer that next morning. I started the screen. And I was like, what am I doing? And in retrospect, where do you find putting the blame on? On yourself exclusively? on the developers, on circumstances? No, that's definitely on me. Um, that's, a, that's a weakness, right? That's addiction like that, at that level, that's a, that's a personal flaw. I, I have lots of friends who can play those games casually. Blizzard doesn't make games saying, hey, let's, let's, wreck, friend, let's wreck families. You know what I mean? They don't set out, they're not sitting around. Jeff Kaplan's not sitting around going, you know what would be really cool? If we break up 100 marriages this year. Like that's, they make these games for fun. And in order for a game like that to have long-lasting um, appeal, there needs to be some sort of, you know, um, repetition, some sort of reward for work type type thing. There needs to be something to keep people coming back. Um, and it's it's on you as a person to know your know where your line is. Hey, enough is enough. It's time to walk away. It's something again. I hate, I hate to bring it back to Nintendo, but. Nintendo's consoles, at least the Switch and the 3DS and the DS before it, I believe, they give you a head. They're like, hey, you've been playing for a couple hours. Why don't you take a break? You know, they, the game actually interrupts to tell you take a break. And that's, that is brilliant. That could save, you know, some people because it's like, you know what? I haven't sitting here for four hours. Maybe I should walk my dogs. Um, 
I I 100% blame myself for that. That's this is and that's also the read. Like I'm a I'm a, a pretty big defender of loot boxes, um, if done for cosmetic only uh, reasons. I don't like loot boxes when they're done for you know enhancements in competitive online games. But if it's only c- cosmetic, I'm all for it. And I know that they get a lot of they catch a lot of heat in in games media and, and social media because they they say they're preying on the weak. Well. You should be able, as an individual, to recognize your weakness. And if you can't, then you need someone in your life to, to can. But I don't think that we should be policing or punishing game developers for trying to make something fun that the majority of the planet can enjoy casually, you know, without risk. And that's that's why I don't play Warcraft. I can't, like, I know if I, I, I hear it's free now, uh, Battle for Azeroth looks awesome. I know if I installed it on my computer today, Colleen would leave me within six months. I, I know because I know what would happen. I don't trust myself enough to control how I play it, so I won't do it. You know, I quit smoking six years ago the same way. It was like, I, I don't want to do this anymore. I need to stop now. And so I did. But I, I, hundred, and I don't blame the cigarette companies for making cigarettes look tasty, you know. And, and they're not. They're gross. They've always been gross. I don't know what the fuck. Anyway. <laughs> But in um, that case, they are heavily regulated, taxed, and they put all sorts of warnings on the packaging. Like, do you see that happening with games too? It could, but it, it's not just loot boxes that are addictive in games, right? Like, there was no loot boxes in Warcraft. It's funny because when my aunt, she went to buy my cousin a copy of Warcraft. This was many, many years ago. And she went to, at the time, they were called Electronics Boutique, TB Games now. She went and asked for the copy, and he handed it to her, and he was like, oh, is this for you? And she said, no, it's for my son. He said, you should probably just go buy him a bag of heroin. <laughs> <laughs> she was like, excuse me? And he was like, that's how addictive this is. You know? Um, so it's not just loot boxes that have this, that, this addiction that can, this, that can happen. And games are already regulated. You know? It's just parents ignore it. There's a rating right on the box. Mature, you know? Uh, I don't know. I to some people speed running Mega Man. You can't I can't see games having labels on them that say warning this may be and maybe they have it. I have to look at the back of a game, but maybe it says warning. This game may be addictive. Um I just I guess you could you could put it on there, but I feel like I feel like the onus is on the I don't think cigarettes need to have all those warning labels either. We know they're bad for us. I don't need a picture of shitty lungs on the front of a cigarette pack to know that this disgusting habit is gonna kill me. I wouldn't want to see warning labels, but if they put them on, so be it. Maybe it could be DLC, get with a season pass. Those kinds of things, like putting like pictures of diseased lungs on the packaging, I'm not really sure if it if it's really helpful or effective with people that are already smoking. I think it, it works on the people that aren't smoking and will not smoke <laughs> because it reinforces that idea that, that they're bad. Yeah, it's, it's a deterrent. It's, hey, don't start. This is what's going to happen. Those people who are already smoking, they don't care. Yeah. You could hand them a set of lungs that they had to remove from a cancer patient and they still wouldn't care. from what I remember from Weekly. And something that always uh, was very interesting to me is when you mentioned you know, that when you're getting deployed and such, um, you're bringing games with you. And for some odd reason, I don't know why, and maybe it's because of my lack of knowledge of what happens in the military, I, I never pictured personnel you know, playing games. So oh, it's, it's, because it's everywhere. So... When we leave, and I can only speak to the Navy, uh, and just this is just the Canadian Navy. It might be different everywhere, but I assume they're all the same. Um, 
when we leave for six months at a time, especially nowadays, the biggest concern for the ship and for the crew is quality of life. We spend six months away from our family, our friends, and everything we need. So we, any comforts from home that we can bring with us are a massive advantage, and gaming is one of them. Plus, it helps kill time. It helps keep your mind off the fact that you're away. You know, um, A lot of my friends will be like, oh, you're going to Italy and Spain and Portugal and Holland, and man, that's awesome. Yeah, but I'm going to spend the next 182 days sleeping in a bunk that's six feet by three feet, uh, stacked three high, and I'm not going to be able to hug my kids or take my dogs for a walk or kiss my wife for six months. So, I mean, yeah, Italy's cool and all, but... So, gaming is massive, and for me especially, because at, when I'm at work, I'm I'm at work. I, I don't like to mix... Um, socialism and, and work i have very few people that i work with that i consider my friends and so i take games to help me escape and help me just you know pass the time and handheld gaming is so amazing so the ship we have our we have um they're called we call them a mess and it's like a big cafeteria where we all sit to eat we have three of them on the ship they're divided by rank each of those messes has multiple tvs you know that you always have either a ps4 one 360 or ps3 in there where people can get and have that social gaming thing so that's where you'll see your your sports tournaments your call of duty zombie runs and stuff like that that'll happen in those spaces and then in our private spaces where we sleep which are made up of anywhere from four to 18 bunks there's always a little sitting area and a tv and some of those spaces have game systems as well and if you're lucky enough some of our workspaces on the ship so we have like little uh, offices or little workshops where we work. We can, uh, if there's no secret information, we could put televisions and game systems in some of those. And that'll be for the guys that just want to sit and play games sort of by themselves. Um, but handheld gaming on the ships are is massive. You see 3DSs, and I imagine this year I'll see Switches everywhere, uh, Vitas. These things are all over the place. And it's it's just a great way to be able to escape and and have these experiences. On my last deployment, I played Xenoblade Chronicles 3D on my 3DS. It's sort of like transporting me back being that kid again because I'm not in a rush, you know? I don't want to blow through this. I want to take my time. I want to explore. I want to, you know, spend as much time as I can living in that world so that I'm not sitting here staring at these steel walls, listening to machinery, you know, having the same conversations over and over again because I don't know what it's like where you work. But if you walked into my work, it's just the same conversations over and over again. People have the same problems, the same complaints, the same issues, and it just it's just nothing ever seems to get resolved. And it's just the same revolving conversation. You know, eventually, you know, sometimes it gets mixed in with, oh, did you see this episode of this show? Or, oh, did you see this movie? Well, when we're gone, we don't always get to see this episode of that show. Or the- so it's literally the same conversations over. I've had the same conversation about how the the system we use for evaluating our who gets promoted is flawed at least a thousand times and <laughs> like crazy. Like we just, we just keep having these same talks over and over and over and over and over. And it's just, it never ends. So gaming is a way to escape that. I can go and I can be that seven-year-old, you know, in high rule again, just spend an afternoon out fighting slimes. If I'm playing dragon quest 11, you know, I'm going to get Octopath Traveler the day that I leave and you better believe I am going to play every single side quest I'm going to explore every nook and cranny of that beautiful game over the next six months because I've got six months, you know? And if I happen to get to the end and I get to a point when I'm done with it, well, then I'll just grab something else, you know, Fire Emblem will be out or Donkey Kong or whatever. But I've got all this time and I can escape. I can get away for a moment and, you know, it it gives you that memory of home. It gives you... It takes you away from the fact, it takes your mind off the fact that, you know, your kids are 5,000 miles away or, you know, your wife who calls you because she's upset, you know, her mother said something that upset her and now she's calling you and she's crying and she just wants someone to vent to because that's what she needs. But you're on the other side of the world and you can't do anything to help her and you feel helpless. So it's like, well, you know, I'll be on the phone for you because I know that this call has to end with me just listening and being here for you. But when I hang up, I need to I need to have some way to get rid of this frustration that I feel because I'm over here and I can't be there. And that's gaming for me. 
that sounds like video games have this higher purpose and and it's uh really fascinating but at some point that also ends right and you and you're back uh, i would assume that you don't stop gaming but th the role of gaming in your normal life how does it change so then yeah so i get home and i've been using gaming as an escape in this release you know for six months and i get home and there is there's an adjustment period when you get back from a trip like that. Um, it's usually a couple of weeks to a month or so uh, to get back into the flow. Because while you've been gone, for me, Colleen has her own routine. She gets up every day. She does it like her life here doesn't stop. So everybody here carries on as if I don't exist, right? And then I get home and I care, you know, I'm overseas. I get home and I then have to figure out how to reintegrate myself back into their lives, you know, so it doesn't throw everything off that they have. And at the same time, they're adjusting to me because I've gone from, you know, we eat supper at this time. It's made by these people. We line up at this spot. Everybody eats. You clean your dishes here and everything is very regimented and organized to, you know, I don't have a staff of, of cooks and, and people cleaning dishes at my house. It's just me and Colleen. So, you know, that's just one example. It's you go to bed at this time, you get up at this time, that's all sort of gone. So it's this, this period of, of reintegration and readjustment. And in all honesty, gaming it for that that period will probably fade off for a bit. Um, I know last time when I got home, I didn't play as many games initially upon my return home. Um, I sort of set them aside. So it was, it's really like starting your, not starting your relationship over again, but you have to learn how to live together. And you have to learn how to, you know deal with people and chaos and you know just being home so uh, games sort of set, step aside then and then once you're back integrated at home um and things are back to normal then gaming switches back to that thing that it was before where it's just fun you know it's just a hobby um you're gonna sit uh, i can sit with colleen and play wolverblade I can jump online and play overwatch with the guys or if i want i can you know play a a game by myself and it just be, it, it shifts back into just that sort of hobby you know time killer let me have some fun you know sort of uh, thing and it loses a lot of the the strength or not the strength but the importance that it has when i'm away because when i'm gone away it's it's almost like a crutch um and when i'm home i don't need it to be that so it can be just more fun mm-hmm do you find yourself playing different kinds of games when you're deployed and when you're home? Yeah, yeah. When I'm gone, when I'm deployed, it's I'm all about RPGs. Give me story, give me deep characters, give me depth, give me games that, you know, require tons and tons of hours just living in a world because I find those are the best for absorbing. You know, you can almost be those characters. I was Shulk for, for three or four months, you know, um, which explains my weird accent. <laughs> um, and the shorts. No, so it's uh, RPGs. <laughs> Plus, I find on handheld games, uh, anything Twitch reflexy is, is a little hard. So I like those. And when I'm home, I still like those experiences, but I'm also, when I'm home, I also like uh, the shorter games, the Blaster Masters, the Shovel Knights, the Wonder Boys. Because those are fun, and they're I can sit and I can play through them in a weekend. It's like, oh, I'm home this weekend. Colleen's away. I'm gonna enjoy it. Whereas when I'm gone, I want to extend that experience and draw it out as long as I can. And I, I find that I get more emotional. Like, I am more emotionally attached to Xenoblade Chronicles because I played it on deployment. I think than I would have been um, had I just played it at home. I don't think I would have found myself as as attached to those characters otherwise. Uh, so I'm really pumped for Octopath. <laughs> <laughs> and it seems like you've been in this line of work for a while now, right? Uh, I hit 10 years on June 6th. Mm -hmm. So you've been away and back home, I mean, once in a while. So if I'm not mistaken, the club also was created within this 10-year period, right? Yep, it was. Yeah, the club's... Club will be five years old um, as of September 1st. And was this an idea that is linked to this lifestyle? No, no. So we started the club. I was uh, actually 
and I was on course. My my specific trade uh, is a technical trade, so it required a lot of school. There was a year of school followed by a short by by a couple of years on the ship, and then two years of school by and then back to the ship. Um, and it's always I'm always it's always being broken up with, with periods of time where I go to learn new systems, new equipment, stuff like that. So when we started the club, uh, so Mark and I initially started a YouTube channel um, in February or March of 2013. And it was just something we wanted to do for fun. He came to me and he was like, hey, you know, we were looking for a way because we he had been away. He had lived in uh, and up north in, um, I think, none of it. I think he lived in, um, I think. I'm not, I'm not, yeah. Um, it was, it was one of the, one of the North territories. He was working at hotels and resorts. So uh, he was in Lake Louise for a, a year or two, and he was up north for a year or two. Um, and I, was, I had joined the military, and I was gone away to boot camp prior to that. So I was in Quebec. And then I was home, and I was in Halifax. And we had really sort of lost touch. Um, and we were looking we, – we found ourselves both living in Halifax and working in – and we were looking for a way to um, connect more, to, for a reason to get together. So we started a YouTube channel. And that carried on. That was in, in February or March. And then that August was when he said to me, you know, we were both playing um, Final Fantasy IV. I was on Game Boy Advance. He was, sorry, I was on PSP. He was on Game Boy Advance. We were talking about it together one day at a Tim Hortons. And he was like, man, I want to tell you this idea I have for a podcast. And then he pitched the Cartridge Club idea to me. And then it, it started, it wasn't because of either one of our jobs. It, Started with the fact that we both loved talking about gaming so much, and we had experienced that in a smaller amount on our YouTube channel, um, and uh, you know, with people at the EB Games that we would go to usually in Halifax. We were like, we we desperately because we we love talking about games, and we were looking for a way to just have games and be able to talk to people about games. So um, it, it wasn't really because of either of our work; it was because of a, a desire to to interact and hear different people's experiences and, you know, just reach out and talk to strangers really about games. And cause there's nothing, nothing more exciting than hearing somebody's first thoughts on a game that you love, you know, like um, Thomas was alone. You guys played and reviewed Thomas was alone on bonus barrel. And I heard your show and I was like, I'm going to check that game out. And it just happened to be on sale. And I played it. And then afterwards I remember talking to you guys about it. I imagined for you, that was the same as when I had the people, who played Final Fantasy IV for the first time in the club, come on and talk, you know, people on the forums, people, it's because you hear people like, people were frustrated because they didn't know which medicines were healing, you know, and to me, it's like, oh man, it's so old place, like it's common hat, these are these. Um, you don't think about how some of it, I've been playing the game for 10 years, 15 years. So I don't know, I just, I love hearing new experiences I've played before. Uh, and I also like being that new experience on games that other people are of. So that's really, it, it, it wasn't really because of work. It was just because we really both love talking about games and we just wanted to hear, ha have more conversations about them. So initially it was about playing a game and talking about that game, but the club has become so much more nowadays. Do you feel the same? Oh yeah, 100%. Um, it started as, like I said, just that, that podcast. Um, and we didn't, we didn't know if anybody would play. We didn't know if anybody would play a game, if anybody would talk about a game. That first show we recorded with uh, my friend Nick and, uh, on, and two online friends, Retro J and PC Wizard. And we had no idea if anybody beyond that, if there would ever be an episode two. But there was an episode two, and then a three, and then a four. Um, there's a group called Multitapped who had reached out to Mark and I. Um, they were just forming Multitapped. And they said, you know, we're starting this online community of a bunch of content creators. We're putting them all together in one thing, sort of like a normal boot or a screw attack or, you know, retroware, that sort of thing. We were wondering if you guys would like to, to get in with us, you know. We, we all get along pretty well. With and at the time, we, we weren't really interested in that. It seemed like a lot of, a lot of work. Turns out it is. Um, and it's... <laughs> it, uh, so we, we turned it down. We were like, you know, we appreciate it. We're, you know, thank you so much uh, for thinking of us as you guys are getting rid of the launches thing, but we're going to have to say no. Um, and then they launched it and multi-tap is still going, still around today. And it was a, a month or two after that, that we were talking to some of our friends who are uh, buried on Mars. 
Dean Lasagna, Ramvox, and at the time, Darren from the Gaming Pilgrimage. And we were like, you know, because th- these guys have been on multiple episodes of the Cartridge Club at this point. And we were like, you know, why don't we try something a little, you know, try doing something similar to that, but a little smaller. You know, just us and just making, having a website and maybe throwing up our videos on there and stuff and see, see what goes from there. And so that's, that's what we did. So the, the club was really just the, the Game of the Month podcast and then these four YouTube channels. And it was just friends. And we had a, you know, we started up a, a forums for people to, to talk about the games because up to that point they would just use our YouTube channel. And we had our video production had slowed down at that point. We had sort of lost that, lost that drive to make videos. Um, so this seemed like a, a better solution. And from there, it is that's that was when it it really took off. Was that group of friends who were like, let's just have a spot to throw up our videos and maybe a central spot to talk about games to, to what it is now, which is an amazing spot. Um, a great community, so much hard work from, from guys like Dean and Derek. And it's just crazy how much it's grown since then. And now that you and Mark are sort of, I don't know, stepping back a little bit, where do you see the, the club going? Uh, I, I really think it can only get stronger. Um, there's an interview that we did with, Uh, retro rejects on I'd have to go back and look at what podcast it was of theirs one of their early episodes and the club was very young then um, actually at that point I think it might have just been the game of the month podcast um, and they said they asked us where do you see this being in five years and the answer we gave was uh, in five years we'd like for the club to be its own thing and for to be two participants in it Uh, and maybe even to the point that we're not even required anymore for the Game of the Month show. So with September being five years, it was strangely prophetic uh, goal. You know, we hit it. We we made that target. We are the club is so much bigger now than it was then. And I I like in talking with uh, Musty and Ryan, I think the Game of the Month portion of it, the Game of the Month podcast, uh, is only going to get better. They have some really amazing plans to bring it back and make it a more community focused event um, really get people more en- more engaged on top of that seeing the community grow like it's it's really got a mind of its own like we get new members all the time and people are great and I just I imagine that it's it's only going to continue to succeed in being sort of a, a safe haven online to come and talk about games because we've been extremely lucky for the most part in that the members all respect each other and they respect the fact that, you know, we're here to talk about our, our commonalities and to we're here because of what brings us together and not to focus on what pushes us apart. It was this perfect combination of early club members that really had strong beliefs in family and friendship and acceptance and kindness, uh, retro nonsense. They're one of the earliest members of the club. It's Duke and his kids and his wife, Mother Brain. That fan, like their morals, their their family values are really at the heart and the core of the club. His wife and his one of his sons, they run marathons like every week for charities, for sick kids, for people with disabilities. Like they are giving, compassionate, caring people. And we were just lucky enough that in the beginning, they were one of the people that were there. You know, the Q Dogs, uh, Eric and Melissa, and they have three girls. They're kind and they're loving and they just, they, they, they welcome everybody into the club as if they were welcoming them, in them, welcoming them, welcoming them into their own family. So we've been really lucky with, with, these, with these members that have been there for such a long time. Dean, who is probably the nicest, most selfless individual I've ever met, uh, is really one of the founding pushing forces of the club. Ryan. Uh, Rocket Sauce has been around for forever. And Ryan is one of the most open-minded individuals to sit down, whatever your beliefs, whatever your uh, viewpoints, he is willing to sit and talk with you about it. He's going he's gonna to throw some sarcasm your way, that's for sure. But he's, he's willing to listen, right? So we, I don't know if it was anything that we did as community founders so much as it was we just, these people happened to stumble in, happened to show up, happened to be there. Um, and these are just some examples. Every person who joins the club from there, it, you know, has these same things, like has these same qualities. Uh, everybody from Diego to Fitnat to uh, 
bass guy to <laughs> uh, like it's just uh to quote i think it was tupac real recognize real you know it's <laughs> we've just been really lucky that we we've always had people who cared more about finding a place to go and be with friends instead of finding out who was the elitist or who was the best uh you know so i think i think that's it's a combination of getting really lucky in the start and then just having it grow from there and the same sort of mentalities of people be attracted to it. So the last part is a questionnaire. Are you okay if I ask you 10 questions? Yeah, Sage, you can ask me any questions anytime. Man. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the first one is a game you love. Final Fantasy IV. A game you hate. Uh, Resident Evil Operation Raccoon City. It's you terrible, hate- man. I, I hate it. I hate this game. So I love Resident Evil, right? Uh-huh. One, two, and then I skipped it to five. And five was like super action-packed and like uh, it was sort of okay. I was just okay with it. And then I remember Resident... This was when I just got back into PS3 gaming. Resident Evil Operation Raccoon City. I remember reading about it and I was like, oh, man. It's a, a third-person cover-based shooter where I get to play as Hunk and a team of Umbrella operatives fighting off uh, zombies in Raccoon City during the events of, of Resident Evil 2. Mm. This sounds awesome. And it does. Even now saying it, I'm excited. But in actual practice, it is one of the worst games I've ever... Aiming is terrible. Your team AI is garbage. The, the whole game is just poop. <laughs> it's one of... <laughs> I traded it in after like two days. I was like, this is going back. Oh, I was so angry. Uh, next question. Uh, games wise, what turns you on? Uh, story and graphics. Graphics <laughs> and story. Okay. <laughs> I like uh, cell shaded. I like uh, pixel graphics. Anything that that has has longevity. Final Fantasy VII, for example, I thought at the time was awesome. When I look at it now, it's poo. So cell shaded, you know, the Wind Waker look that can last for a long time. And Blizzard did this with Warcraft, which is part of the reason that Warcraft has been around for so long. It was a very... It was it was stylized to the point that these graphics could go on for many, many years. And even as you updated your computer, it wouldn't have to change. It wouldn't start to look dated. When you get to that point when you're trying to go for hyper-realistic, you start to see the cracks in the foundation. Going back and playing PS3 games now, after playing three years of PS4 games is really hard because I find a lot of those games they tried to make look realistic or they tried to make look good back then, pushing the limits of the hardware don't look as good, you know? The, the mouths, the fingers don't move the way they should. Whereas if they had done it in a cel-shaded art style or a pixel, gra- pixel art style, uh, then it, it's timeless, you know? You could play Super Nintendo games today, with the exception of maybe Star Fox, and they look just as good now as they did then. Yes, I agree. Uh, what turns you off? Uh, bad graphics. Uh, next question is a sound effect that you love. Uh, opening a chest in uh, Zelda. Uh, a sound effect that you hate. Uh, I'm not a big fan, and uh, this is probably going to be blasphemy, but I'm not a big fan. call from Metal Gear Solid uh, on his comm machine. That ding ding, you know that. I can't make the sound. Obviously, I'm not a sound. Really. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It, for whatever reason, it just it irks me a little bit. Uh huh. Your favorite in-game power-up or weapon? Ooh, that's uh, got to be the Master Sword. I mean, any specific version of it? Breath of the Wilds was pretty powerful for me when it happened. Um, having to have enough hearts, you know, which isn't just—it's not just oh, you have enough hearts, great, you pulled it. It's are you, you know, and obviously it's a mechanic to see do you have enough. Are you, are you strong enough that if you start wielding this, can you go and fight the, the end boss or whatever? But it's it, it's that, in, you know, it, it's actually like looking inside. It's do you have what it takes to to hold this sword? Are you are you strong enough to be, you know, he who seals the darkness? What I like about that version of the Master Sword is the fact that it's that is a visible goal. It, it's very powerful to me. Next question is a game character that you would like to be. Oh, uh, I would like to be Cecil from Final Fantasy IV. 
I would. Yeah, I'd like to be Commander Shepard. I would also take that one. Or Torbjorn from Overwatch. I would really be any of these. There's a lot of game characters I would like to be. <laughs> and the next one is a game character that you would not like to be. Uh, Link in Breath of the Wild. Really? Specifically, yeah. You wouldn't like to I, be that character? No, I just can't imagine the crippling sadness that he must feel for every minute of that game up until the moment that he beats Ganon. Just knowing that the world has crumbled, everybody that he knows and has loved is dead and gone, and it's, you know, this girl that he was sworn to protect has spent the last hundred years locked in an eternal struggle against this evil darkness, all because he wasn't strong enough. Nintendo didn't dive into it too much, but it definitely was, it's something that, that, that I thought about as I played the game, and it weighed on me, and yeah, it was... That's a very lonely, sad game. Rob disagrees with me. Rob thinks I'm crazy, but <laughs> Rob calls it fan fiction. <laughs> and the last question is, imagine uh, you could play any game, real or imaginary. What game would that be? Child of Light. I'm, I'm going to say Child of Light. That was Colleen. Colleen, she plays platformers. She, she enjoys them. Um, I'm very lucky because uh, she is very open to new things and trying things for me that I ask. And one of the things was uh, RPGs and Child of Light was that first RPG. And she, we played through it on the Wii U, her controlling Aurora and me controlling Sprite, who just sort of helps out in combat and stuff. And it was the first game of that style. She'd never played an RPG before. It was a turn-based RPG with this fun uh, platformy sort of exploration aspect to it in this beautiful watercolor paint uh, with an amazing soundtrack and the stories all told in, in rhyme so anytime they would talk we would actually read them to each other which was fun but the game was so powerful to her that at the end of it she cried that that moment if i could just capture and have that forever i would it was actually when we were when we were looking at getting married last year that was going to be our wedding song <laughs>